Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. This is episode 16. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're talking pulp. Our guest is Mike Chomko, one of the organisers of Pulpfest. Pulpfest is an annual event that celebrates pulp magazines and everything that goes with pulp. This year's event takes place in Pittsburgh from July 26th and running through to Sunday, July 29th. It will be held at the Double Tree in Hilton Hotel, Cranberry. Their website, Pulpfest, has all the details you need. So, Mike, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Richard. I'm going to... I'm going to say that lots of people out there can visualize what is pulp. That it's got action-packed covers, dramatic titles, there's things like amazing stories, there's lots of science fiction. But can you actually define what pulp is? Could you describe it to me in 60 seconds? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, pulp Fest is about magazines that were called pulps. Uh, that was that was what people called them back then. The first was uh, called the Argosy. It debuted in 1896. Uh, then uh, it took uh, about 10 years for the uh, type that type of magazine to take off. Uh, pulp is called a pulp because of the paper it is made from. It's uh, made from wood pulp. Uh, hence, hence the name. Uh, a lot of people misconstrue uh, pulp as a uh, type of story or fiction, uh, but but it is actually a, a physical uh, physical item, a pulp magazine. So really, it's a it's a printing format of yeah. to do with the nature of the paper the the content was laid mm -hmm. upon, printed upon. Right. Uh, probably in the 20s and the 30s, uh, the uh, uh, it, it became kind of uh, bastardized as the uh, term that most people think of, uh, pulp fiction. Uh, it was just uh, critics didn't like pulp magazines. They were written for the masses. It was popular fit. They published popular fiction. Uh, and, you know, they didn't like them. Uh, they were in uh, Ernest Hemingway or William Faulkner or people like that. They were uh, uh, writers earning a penny a word, writing hastily, uh, grinding out stories, pulp fiction, uh, for hundreds of different magazines that were on newsstands. So was there a crossover between magazines and the the cheap pulp paperbacks sort of dime detective novels in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s? Is that right or am I wrong? Uh, a lot a lot of the writers who wrote for pulp magazines uh, uh, eventually would become the writers of uh, the early paperbacks. They would uh, also, some would also go to Hollywood and write for television and the motion picture, picture industry. Others wrote for, for, for radio. Uh, so yes, uh, it did cross over into other fields, in, into 
paperbacks, etc. Uh, but originally it was people writing for magazines printed on wood pulp. Okay. And what were the genres that were covered in the heyday of pulp? Well, uh, a lot of our genre fiction of today uh, was originally was originated in the pulp magazines. Uh, your detective fiction, your science fiction. Uh, there were pulps that specialized in adventure fiction, uh, fantastic stories, uh, weird tales. Uh, there were romance magazines, sports fiction magazines, uh, war stories, uh, stories about the First World War generally. Uh, you name it, there was even a pulp, uh, I think it was called Popular Engineering Stories, uh, stories about heroic engineers. Okay. Uh, it, it, it didn't last too long, a few issues, one or two, but uh, it was out there, firefighter stories, so you had all sorts of specialized titles. And I guess pretty much the, the themes running through them all are adventure, drama, uh, mm -hmm. readability. Yeah. Uh, most writers who wrote for the pulp magazines would send their, they would write their story and just send it off. They didn't, most of them did not spend much time revising what they wrote. Uh, it was, their heyday was in the 1920s, 1930s, and, uh, during the 1930s, of course, it was the era of the Great Depression, and uh, their word rates were cut. Uh, they may have been earning uh, a nickel per word in the 1920s, uh, but when the 30s hit in the Depression, uh, they were down to a penny a word. Hence, it was more... Uh, they would make more money if they just wrote a story, sent it in, and then started a, a, a new story. Okay, and who would you say are the famous authors that, that appeared in the pulp format? So the one that springs to mind is Edgar Rice Burroughs and his character Tarzan, but there right. must be many others. Yeah, uh, Burroughs and Tarzan is probably the most famous character to uh, merge from the pulps. Uh, Dashiell Hammett, who wrote The Maltese Falcon uh, with Sam Spade, was a pulp writer. He wrote for a magazine, pr primarily for a magazine called Black Mask, uh, which is a very collectible title and highly sought after, very, very hard to find and generally quite expensive. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, who wrote uh, horror stories, stories, uh, stories of the, I, I, <laughs> I really don't know how to pronounce the word, Cthulhu. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, Cthulhu, the Cthulhu Mythos stories. He was a pulp writer. Uh, Robert E. Howard, who created Conan the Barbarian. Uh, Raymond Chandler, a famous mystery writer. Okay. Now, you mentioned that the, the mainstream publishing industry looks down on pulp. Why? Was that because of the, the lurid covers or... They thought there was something special still, or, or was it? Were uh, they threatened by it? 
I, d I don't think they were threatened uh, by uh, the pulp industry. Pulps uh, generally relied on sales of their magazines. They, because of the print, the paper they were printed on, uh, they did not carry much advertising. A lot of their advertising was in the uh, classified, classified ads kind of things uh, because they, they couldn't print advertising in color because of the nature of the paper they were printed on. Uh, the better class of magazines that was publishing uh, the so-called uh, best-selling writers of the day uh, were printed on a clay-based paper uh, which could hold ink uh, much better and so they could print things in color. They were two different industries, however, uh, they printed two pretty much different types of fiction. Uh, a lot of the uh, problems that uh, people had with pulp magazines uh, were, uh, it was a lot of the, the critics. The critics looked down on pulps, uh, mainly because of the nature of the writing. You know, as I said earlier, a lot of the writers published, uh, sent in their work as first draft material. Okay. And then moved on to another story. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, of course, it's hastily written and uh, mistakes creep in. Uh, sometimes a, a writer would kill off a character and uh, 30 pages later that character would be miraculously alive again. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, the editors didn't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where would people buy a pulp magazine? Would it be from street vendors? Yeah. Uh, they were sold in uh, drugstores, newsstands on the street, and uh, in uh, train stations, bus, bus terminals, places like that. Uh, certain types of magazines uh, were more popular in certain parts of uh, North America, like uh, Westerns were being sold primarily in the West and the, the South, uh, the Midwest, whereas your detective stories were uh, targeted at the more urban areas of the East Coast, West Coast. Uh, and if I jump ahead to today, okay. if you're a collector of pulp, what is the major challenge? So surely the quality of the paper you, you mentioned earlier on mm -hmm. simply doesn't last well. What are the challenges people face collecting it? Uh, yeah, uh, pulp paper, uh, given its nature, is highly acidic. Uh, one thing that people have found over the years uh, is if they uh, avoid uh, sunlight, as much as possible with their magazines that they last far longer. Somehow uh, the sunlight helps uh, uh, invigorate the chemicals within the paper and, and cause de that cause deterioration. Right, so, so people store them yeah. in their basements, I guess. Yeah, uh, well, uh, I remember 
maybe about 20 years ago, we had a collection we were selling at, at our convention uh, of a magazine called Weird Tales. And this gentleman uh, stored them in, in uh, kitchen cabinets uh, that he mounted somewhere in his home. And yeah, this was about 50 years later, and you you looked at these magazines, and they appeared to be they were white. The paper was very, very white, as if they had just been published. They were absolutely beautiful. Uh, unfortunately, most most copies of Weird Tales are more brown or yellow. They can uh, crumble. Uh, again, it was because that man had his, put his magazines flat, flat on shelves in these kitchen cabinets and closed the doors, and they they lasted for years and years. Wow, it's quite ingenious. Yeah. So you've explained how the the writers were writing quick and dirty one draft and send it off, but pulp is all, all also famous for its dramatic cover art. How did all of those famous artworks evolve. I'm, I'm thinking of Tarzan wrestling lions and mm -hmm. damsels in distress and fairly dramatic covers. What was the process for those? Uh, it, it really depended on the publisher. Uh, one of the leading publishers of pulp magazines was Popular Publications. And uh, the uh, president and founder of the company was a man named Henry Steger. Uh, he, uh, he and his partner started the company in uh, about, it was either uh, 1930 or 31. And uh, Steger actually would sit down with his cover artists and pretty much design every cover in, in, in the early years of his company. He even had a, a, news, a newsstand in his office uh, where he would display uh, the magazines to see how they would look on, on, on a newsstand. So he was heavily involved in the uh, design of the magazine. Uh, other publishers relied on, on art directors. Uh, they had uh, pretty much had a stable of freelance artists who were working for them. Uh, a lot of these uh, men, and, and there were a few women as well. Our guest of honor at last year's Pulp Fest was uh, Gloria Stoll-Karn, who uh, was a, one of the few women pulp artists. She painted covers for... Uh, primarily for Western romance magazines and, and some detective magazines during the 1940s. But she was one of the very few females who actually painted covers for the popes. Uh, the artists were usually paid, say, about $100 for their, their lab for painting a cover to the magazine. Uh, some more, many less. Uh, but again, it was uh, art directors, and as in the case of Popular, it was Henry Steger himself. And today, do people collect pulp for the art or for the writing? Uh, it really depends on uh, who you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some people, yeah, they do just 
primarily collect for, for the covers. Now, the covers of a pulp magazine were are painted on glossy paper, so they uh, hold up much, much better than the interior of the magazines. That said, uh, the way a pulp was made, uh, it was the cover uh, sticks out a fraction of an inch over the, the interior paper. So you'll have uh, tears, little edge tears to uh, many of the magazines. Uh, it's just, again, it's the nature of the way they were manufactured. Uh, some people, uh, you know, some people collect the magazines for the stories, others, mm -hmm. others for the art. It just depends on their interests. Okay. So one thing that has intrigued us about Pulp Fest is that you also have modern pulp there, that uh, fresh pulp or republished yeah. pulp is part of what can be found at the event. Can you tell me a little bit about what, what's appearing today? Uh, in, in about 19, in the 1990s, uh, a number of small publishers began to reprint pulp magazines, sometimes uh, as entire issues of, of an old pulp, uh, and other times they might have taken a, a character from a magazine and published one or two of that character's stories. Uh, perhaps the leading uh, company that uh, is doing what I, I just mentioned is Sanctum Books. Sanctum Books has uh, published uh, the entire run of Doc Savage magazine. They, were, they did about 80 issues uh, of uh, two to three stories per issue. I believe Doc uh, ran for a hundred, hundred some, uh, some issues. Could be wrong there. I'm relying on my faulty memory there. Uh, they are in the midst of publishing the entire run of The Shadow, which ran for over 300 issues. Uh, right now they're on about their 130th book of, again, publishing two or three stories of that character. So do uh, original stories, new stories, ever yeah. get published now? Yes, uh, there is a, uh, a genre in uh, a fiction genre today that is called new pulp. Uh, these are stories. Uh, sometimes they are stories featuring classic characters uh, in new adventures. Uh, other times they are new stories of new characters inspired by the pulps of the past. Uh, there's a, a, a small number of companies publishing uh, that sort of fiction. It's, it's also published by uh, larger companies. Uh, our guest of honor this year is the author Joe Lansdale. He's uh, probably best known for, for a story that was turned into a cult movie classic called Bubba Hotep. Uh, he also wrote the uh, He's been writing the Happ and Leonard books that were uh, recently on Sundance Television. Uh, but Joe uh, did a couple of anthologies. He edited a couple of anthologies uh, called Retro Pulp Tales, where he invited uh, 
authors, uh, author acquaintances to uh, contribute their types, their new pulp fiction to these collections. So it's, uh, it's out there. Pulp is still alive and, and uh, we call it new pulp. Reborn almost. Yeah, yeah, kind of, sort of. And a lot of times the uh, publishers will try to recreate the, the pulp look it's not they're they're not uh, going back and using the uh, lousy paper, lousy interior paper. But it, it's more like a soft cover uh, trade paperback, but a, a larger size, kind of the size of a National Geographic magazine. Okay, so for Pulp Fest, who are the people who attend? And I was also wondering if people dress up when they come to your event. Well, we do we. A lot, a lot of our members are older. Uh, I would say the average age of our membership is uh, 50 to 60 years old. Okay. I would say, man, let's make that 50 to 70 years old in there. Yeah, the baby boomer generation. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there are actually a few, uh, unfortunately, a few people remaining that bought pulps off the newsstand. Uh, I say unfortunately because they have passed away. Okay. Uh, but the primary audience is baby boomers. Uh, do people dress up? There, there are. There's usually a handful. Uh, generally, younger people come in. Uh, I, we've seen people dressed up as uh, uh, gangsters. Uh, some uh, come in. Uh, I've already seen someone dressed up as the shadow. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Oh, there. I've seen an. I uh, last year I think we saw a guy dressed up in some type of uh, space suit. So they're there. <laughs> yeah. You. Uh, I know cosplay is a big part yeah. of many other conventions. So I was just wondering about the pulp. Yeah, we. Um, we've never really. Uh, gone in that angle of cosplay we we kind of it's organizing pulp fest is kind of a balancing act uh between uh pleasing the the older audience who are is primarily interested in in the quote unquote real thing a, a pulp magazine or a pulp painting and and newer people who are coming to the field through like like the reprint stuff yeah i understand so, if uh, if someone comes along to Pulp Fest, what are they going to see? What what's the nitty gritty about the event? What what's there? Uh, well, the centerpiece of Pulp Fest is our dealers' room. Uh, uh, the uh, room at the uh, DoubleTree is approximately twelve thirteen thousand square feet. Within that room, uh, we have over a hundred tables of uh, dealers. Now these dealers are selling everything from original pulp magazines to uh, original art, uh, sometimes from pulp magazines, uh, more often than not from uh, paperback, uh, uh, paperback books. Uh, we have uh, new pulp uh, publishers. We have other people who, uh, myself, I sell uh, a lot of the reprint uh, 
uh, fiction, the uh, books uh, featuring uh, the uh, detective stories that originally appeared in pulp magazines or The Shadow, Doc Savage, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, we have some dealers dealing in comic books, not, not too many of them. Uh, yeah. There are other people who will be bringing uh, men's adventure magazines, which are kind of an outgrowth of the uh, pulps. These were uh, started in the 1950s as the pulps were dying, uh, disappearing from the newsstands. Uh, they primarily appealed to uh, the uh, GIs returning from the Second World War. Uh, a lot of these have extremely lurid covers of uh, usually featuring somewhat scantily cladded, clad women with uh, villains, uh, Nazi villains or, or uh, some of the other uh, Axis powers okay. of the Second World War. And do you have seminars or? Uh... Oh yeah, yeah. We, uh, we have uh, an extensive lineup of e programming in our evening. Uh, as I said, generally the centerpiece during the daytime is our dealer's room. That's where a lot of people do spend their time. Uh, but in the evening, starting around 7 p.m., we do have uh, presentations. Uh, this year we have uh, three. Our themes are the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War. Uh, so we'll have presentations on uh, the war pulps. There was a, a magazine called War Stories that debuted in, uh, I believe, uh, 1928 or 29 that published stories about the First World War. Uh, and there were other magazines uh, related to that that uh, specialized in uh, the war in the air. You okay. have uh, wings and warbirds. We'll have a presentation on that type of magazine. We also have uh, three presentations on the art inspired by war. Uh, one will be on the actual war pulp magazines. One will be on comic books. Uh, I remember uh, EC Comics did uh, a f few comics, uh, Ace, Ace High. Uh, Two-Fisted Tales that published a lot of war stories. Uh, and we will also have a presentation on the men's adventure magazines, uh, as which I said grew out of the Second World War. Okay. Sounds, sounds like there's going to be an awful lot to see. Um, one last question. Mm -hmm. what, what happened to make pulp fade away? Why did it go out of fashion or stop being printed? What, what happened there? Uh, it, it was a variety of factors. Uh, pulps were hit pretty hard during the Second World War due to paper rationing. Uh, so they had to uh, cut back on some of the magazines. Some of the ma each publisher had a, a limited amount of paper. So they had to cut back on the number of magazines they were publishing. Uh, People's tastes changed. Uh, the GIs came home from the Second World War, and they, they were no longer interested in uh, uh, the fantasy style of fiction that was they were used to seeing in, in pulp magazines, and so they were turning to other 
sorts of things. Uh, you had increased competition. You had uh, uh, the paperback books were blossoming. Uh, you also had uh, smaller digest magazines. These were more convenient for people to carry. Uh, you could slip your paperback into your back pocket, whereas a pulp you would have to kind of roll up and slip it into your back pocket. Uh, you had uh, television uh, starting in the, in the 50s, uh, increased competition for movies. Uh, hence, pulp magazines uh, f faced uh, a lot more, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they were pursuing uh, dimes and quarters from people that, that were competing with and competing with other products. So it sounds like a mixture of reasons, social, economic, yeah, yeah. all mixed in. Okay. Mm -hmm. So once again, um, to round up, Pulp Fest is coming up soon, July 26th to the 29th in Pittsburgh. Um, go to the Pulp Fest website, which is pulpfest.com, for more details. It's an excellent website with lots and lots of details and all sorts of wonderful things to read. Um, that's all we have time for this week. Big thank you to Mike Chomko from Pulp Fest for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. My name is Richard Davis from Abe Books. If you like the show, please tell your friends or like it or share it or tweet it or leave a comment. And we'll see you next time.